And we're live. Welcome to Daily Confidence for Entrepreneurs. My name is Mustafa Hosseini, your host for the show. At Daily Confidence, we share tips, strategies, and actionable advice that you can use on a daily basis when it comes to running your business and boost your confidence in those different areas. Now, during the show, after the show, we do a draw and we give away gifts. And for you to enter the draw, if you like the show, if you subscribe to our channel, whichever uh, social channel you're watching to, or if you're or if you're on our podcast and you subscribe to our uh, podcast, if you comment, ask a question, if you tag a friend on social media who could benefit from the conversation that we're having in front of the topic that we're, uh, what you might call it, discussing, mm -hmm. you will enter your name and their name into the draw. Also, if you rate and review our podcast on Google, Spotify, Apple and you know the whichever platform you're watching or listening through you also enter your name into our draw So today I have an amazing guest John Levesay. Welcome John Thank you Mustafa. Great to be with you. Great to have you and our topic is better selling through storytelling and This is such a a, a great topic and by the way gang. This is our 50th episode oh. and uh, in the past uh, six or seven months We've done 50 episodes, so um, uh, so thank you and for your support and thank you for showing up and all the amazing guests that we've had. And so I'm looking forward to this to this uh, topic, selling through storytelling. Let me do the proper intro for John, and then we're going to dive right into the uh, conversation here. If you're watching or listening, and if you have any questions about sales and storytelling, pop it into the chat box, and we're going to do our best to address them and go from there. So John Levesay, AKA the pitch whisperer <laughs> is a sales keynote speaker where he shows companies, sales teams, how to turn mundane case studies into compelling case stories. So they win more new business from John's award-winning career at Condé Nast. He shares the lessons he learned that turns sales teams into revenue rock stars. His Ted talk, be the lifeguard of your own life has over 1 million views on different channels. Clients love working with John because of his ongoing support after his talk, which includes implementing the storytelling skills from his best-selling book and online course, Better Selling Through Storytelling. His book is now required a required reading for the UTLA, University of Texas in LA course, on entertainment and media studies. Welcome, John. Thanks again for having me. Great to be again here on a topic I love talking about. Yeah, I love this topic too because this whole uh, thing about sales is uh, a lot of people have difficulties with and they're not very confident. And it's the one step that is essential. It's like the life of a business. Yes. And some entrepreneurs start a business and when they realize they have to sell, <laughs> they are like, oh, oh, I don't want to sell. I don't want to be salesy. So this is really good. So, John, what is your story? Well, my story is I majored in advertising because for me, it was a great combination of showbiz and business and entertainment. And I was always interested in what is it that motivates somebody to pay attention? What breaks through the clutter, whether it's a jingle or a headline on a commercial or an ad? And I was always interested in how our brain work, uh, what made us persuade some, be persuaded by something and what makes us tune other things out. And then I started my career selling multi-million dollar mainframe computers in Silicon Valley and was competing against IBM at the time. And what I realized was my equipment might be less expensive, more reliable, even faster. And still people weren't buying it because IBM would say if something breaks, we're going to point the finger at the other vendor and you'll get fired for hiring. And so I went, well, there's a lot of psychological issues that go into a decision. It's not just a logical numbers. And that was great sales training. And then I moved from Silicon Valley down to LA and worked for an ad agency that turned movies into commercials coming out on home video back in the day when Blockbuster was thriving. And it really helped me craft my storytelling techniques. It was my job to call in the studios, Warner Brothers and Disney, to convince them to let us do the commercials. But then in the midst of it, I learned that if a movie didn't do well theatrically, we could reposition it 
to get people to want to rent or even own it. So that storytelling skills, what you take out of a movie and cut it down to a 30 second commercial uh, is the same thing we do with our elevator stories. And then I had a 15 year career selling advertising and media for Condé Nast and um, realized that, you know, Lexus would say, you know, we looked at 50 different magazines. We've narrowed it down to 10. Uh, come in and pitch back to back to back. And don't tell us any numbers. We've already done that analysis. Uh, whoever tells us a good idea or a story is going to win. And I went, oh, and I love that. But a lot of people were deer in headlights. So uh, and then the last seven years, I've had my own career as a speaker, um, training people who maybe love coaching or love what they're doing, uh, but hate the selling part of it. A lot of it has to do with a huge fear of rejection, which is very tied to our confidence and also the inability to tell a story because the great news is when you tell a story, you pull people in as opposed to having to feel pushy and push information out. And because of the way our brain is wired, we love storytelling. We relax. It accesses a different part of our brain. So mm -hmm. people love to know that they don't have to become salespeople to be successful, but they do need to learn how to become a black belt in storytelling. Love it. So what is your elevator pitch? Well, you know how coaches and consultants and even entrepreneurs struggle not to be seen as a commodity and they feel pushy and they hate it. I'm the pitch whisperer and I show people through my talks and my trainings how to make a compelling case story because whoever tells the best story gets sale or hired. And after working with me, people become revenue rock stars. Love it. Love it. So how did you, um, Rosemary says perfect timing. And I'm trying to, uh, I, I'm tying up a story that is due today for a book. It's just a conversation. So good timing there. Perfect. And guys, if you have any questions about sales and stories and how to connect them and how to sell through stories, pop, pop them in the chat box and we're going to answer them. So how did you actually become the pitch whisperer? <laughs> well, I was being interviewed, competing, even as a speaker. I don't think everybody realizes this. No matter what you do, you're always selling yourself. And I had to sell myself and convince an event planner for Anthem Insurance to hire me versus some other speakers. And I asked a question that starts with two magic words that I highly recommend people start using, which is what if. When you start a question with what if, you tap into the right side of our brain where imagination and storytelling and listening and empathy all live. And I said, well, what if I stayed after my talk, since you're going to have an improvisation session, and would help people if they got stuck? I could whisper something in their ear from my talk. And they loved that and picked me. And I told that story to Inc. Magazine. And they said, wow, you're the pitch whisperer, literally. You're helping people. And at the workshop, people said, can you be in my ear all the time when I'm in the field? So um, a great use of um, how that story of origin came about. And that's so important that we have a story of origin for not only ourselves, but our company, even if it's a one-person company. And then, of course, telling a story about what we do that helps people. Love it. So what's the formula with what if? What do you follow what if with? Then you start to paint a picture. So here's another example. When I was calling on Speedo, they were coming out with a line of sportswear. And I said, oh, would you like to advertise that in my fashion magazine? And they said, no, we're going to be in fitness magazines. So I used that question and I said, what if we treated your sportswear like it was high fashion and had a, a fashion show around a hotel swimming pool and you could invite Michael Phelps since he's on your payroll at the Olympics and we get all kinds of publicity. And I painted enough of a picture that they were intrigued enough to want to know more of what that would look like and eventually gave me the advertising and I got to meet Michael Phelps. And as a former lifeguard, I can assure you that was a big thrill. And I got to ask him some questions. I'm happy to share about what makes him so successful. Hmm. Love it. So gang, if you're watching or listening, you want to start with what if, and John, is this something you respond to an objection? Yes, sometimes. And even during a presentation, you, it's definitely what if can be used in multiple ways. Anytime you want to tap into someone's imagination and get them mm -hmm. to imagine a different future with you or your idea being used, as opposed to pushing out a bunch of numbers or facts, then that's a great phrase to start. 
Love it. Love it. What are some mistakes that coaches and consultants make about sales in general? Well, I think the biggest mistake they make is thinking that people buy logically and that if they have enough information, if I push out enough data about me and what I do and how many mod modules are or whatever it is, they, 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 and then they don't understand why nobody's buying. I Don't you have enough information yet? Let me send you some more. And so when you realize that people buy emotionally and then back it up with logic. So if you go buy a sports car or a really expensive handbag, they're not talking about how many miles per gallon that sports car gets. They're going to talk about how sexy you're going to feel and how much fun it's going to be to drive. Or for women buying an expensive purse, it's, oh, you're going to feel so confident wearing, carrying that purse around. It's the latest fashion. You'll be making a statement. So people are always appealing to our emotion, even from a house. It, for most people, it's an emotional buy backed up with logic. So when you avoid that mistake of pushing out information, but instead tell a story that tugs at heartstrings, then people open the purse strings. Love it. So how do we then connect with their emotions? What do you figure, uh, what's the process to figure out, all right, here are the emotions that are attached to this particular product or service. Yes. How do we go about that? Well, let's zoom out and talk about the four steps to what make a great story. And within that is where the emotion comes. Perfect. So, a great story has to be three things, Mustafa. It has to be clear, mm -hmm. it has to be concise, and it has to be compelling. And the compelling part is where the emotions live. So if you have the exposition where you paint that picture, either with what if, or you tell a story, imagine, and you give the dates, of, and the people feel like they're in the story with you, yep. then you describe the problem with emotion. The more you show empathy for the problem you're solving, either you've been in the shoes of the people or you describe how overwhelmed or frustrated or scared they are, the more people think you have their solution. And then comes the resolution. And this is the part most people forget. What is life like after they bought something from you or hired you? And that's what is the feeling they have? Do they go from waking up in the middle of the night panic? to having peace of mind and not being so stressed out. Those feelings are the key to a really great story. So the emotion goes throughout the story, but especially when you're describing a problem and the resolution of life after. Love it. So you said three things. It has to be clean, concise, and compelling. And uh, clear. Sorry, not clean. Clear. Clear. I'm sorry. That's okay, because the confused mind won't tell you they're confused. They'll just say no. I don't know. So don't use acronyms. You know, don't confuse people. Oh, what I do is so complicated. I have to, no, 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 no. That's my niche is helping people with technical challenges or a very complex process, boil it down. Einstein said, if you can't explain something simply, you don't understand it well enough. Exactly. Love it. So clear, concise, and compelling, and all the emotions and stuff uh, uh, come into the compelling part where you mm -hmm. tell them uh, the emotions, the problems, and show empathy for Yes. Um, the problem that they're having. Mm -hmm. Love it. Love it. And so what are some of the mistakes that people make with their elevator pitch? Uh, well, the first one is they think it's an invitation for a 10-minute monologue, and it's not. Yes, that's what I was <laughs> going to say. <laughs> uh, also, or they become very robotic, and suddenly they're bum, 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 like reading a brochure or something. So the way we fix that is literally – starting with you know how and then you describe who you help and what problem they're struggling with so the All first right. three steps have nothing to do with you so you notice how i did that. you know how salespeople and coaches and consultants struggle with being seen as a commodity that's the opening three steps to my elevator story and then you go into the solution and most people forget what life is like after so adding that little resolution to your elevator story, which most people leave off, or they think it's a, your whole goal should be to get it, people intrigued enough to say, wow, Mustafa, that's interesting. Tell me more and have a conversation, not do you want to buy. So tell an elevator story that somebody's intrigued enough to want to know more and more importantly, that they can remember so that even if they don't need what you have, they could remember it enough to refer you. Hmm. 
What's your opinion about? So there, I, th I think that there are multiple schools schools of thought on sales. Mm -hmm. Here's another idea that I've heard that is a more of a direct uh, kind of sales approach, and that is, I will walk up to a hundred people and ask a hundred people if they want to buy, mm. and I want to talk to the people that do want to buy. Versus okay. this whole, uh, the other side would be the storytelling and the nurturing part. What's your opinion on that? What's your experience with that? Well, my experience is nobody wants to be sold to, even, okay. if, they're, even if they're buying. In the case of Lexus's ad agency pull, calling in all the sales reps, they still don't want to be sold to. They want to hear a story. Um, and if you're interviewing for a job, they're going to say, bring your resume to life. Tell me about yourself. They don't need you to sell them. They want you to tell them a story. And so again, I, I worked with um, a healthcare tech company and I said, they said, we want to learn how to become storytellers because pushing out facts and figures is not causing us to win against our competitors. I said, well, what are you saying now? They said, oh, our equipment makes the surgeries go 30% faster. Do you want one? I'm like, yeah, I can see where there's no story there. And so I paint that picture with the exposition. Imagine how Dr. Higgins down at Long Beach Memorial six months ago, how happy he was going out to the patient's family in the waiting room an hour earlier than expected. And he put them out of their waiting misery. And if you've ever waited for somebody you love to come out of surgery, you know every minute feels like an hour. And he came out and said, good news, the scope shows they don't have cancer. Then turned to the rep and said, you know, that's why I became a doctor, for moments like this. So now that rep tells that case story instead of a case study with numbers to another doctor at another hospital, who sees himself in the story and says, you know what? That's why I became a doctor. I want your equipment too. So the client said to me, wow, not only are we not telling stories, it never occurred to us to make the patient's family in the waiting room a character in our story, but it really gives us chills. And that's a memorable story. And that's a great example of tugging at heartstrings to make that doctor want to open their purse strings. And remember, the doctor is the hero. Your client is the hero of the story, not you or your product. You're the Sherpa helping that person be the hero. Very interesting. I like that the point about how the customer is the hero of the story. Mm -hmm. Tell us more about that. What do you mean by that? Well, like, uh, can you give us an example? Well, there's that's one example. Then I was working with um, a woman named Rose and she um, works with women who struggle with emotional eating issues. So. We first worked together on her elevator story, which is, you know how you throw your jeans in the dryer and you take them out and they don't fit and you want to blame the dryer for shrinking them and you probably ate too much during COVID. So people laugh and they can see themselves in that little elevator story. And she goes, well, my company's buttoned those jeans and I help women find other ways to deal with stress besides food. Boom. We know who she helps, what problems she solves, off and running. She gets people to interact with her, want to hear about her program, her coaching. And we walk that person through the case story of somebody who was struggling with their self-esteem, depending on what the scale said, and you know, diets weren't working. And she explains how she helped her get off that roller coaster. And now she's that woman is happy and free of all that stress. And she's doing other things besides eating when she gets stressed, journaling, whatever it is. And so people see themselves in that story and hire Rose as their coach because they can relate to the person. This the person in that story is her client. And Rose is the Sherpa. Love it. Love it. I think I'm about to sneeze. Okay. Let's do an advance. But it's not coming up. Anyway, so but so the micro but what I what I realized is that the pitch should be about the customer, not about me and how awesome I am. Correct. Right. So it should be touching on their pain and the problem and the frustration and the issues that they're having and how we can maybe help them with the solution. Yes. Then they'd be like, you know what? That's me. Uh, that they, they, like John just paint, painted a perfect picture of where I am because I've done that a million times where I wash my jeans and it's tight now. I'm like, oh, what happened here? <laughs> right? That'd be me. Yes. Right. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Love it. Love it. That's amazing. Um, do you have an example of someone that has told a story and they got business that just because they shared a story? Mm, yes. Well, um, I was 
working with an architecture firm and they were up for uh, renovating an airport and they were competing against two other firms. They each had an hour to come in and tell a story of why they should be the ones picked. And they had some beautiful before and after pictures of other airports they had renovated, but really hadn't put it together in a story. So we crafted a story which described how two years ago at JFK, at JetBlue, they had renovated that terminal. And one of the problems during that three-year project was they had to rip off all the tiles in the middle of the night and rewire everything, but get it done between nine at night and nine in the morning so the stores could open and not lose money. And so they had all their vendors on call in case something went wrong. And sure enough, at two in the morning, a fuse blew, but they had somebody there in 20 minutes to fix it. And at 8.59, the last tile went down and all the stores opened on time. And now a year later after that design, sales are up 15% because they've designed an airport location that pulls people in and makes them spend more time shopping. That story helped them win that presentation because the other airport said, that's what we want. And, you know, the old way of doing that would be to say, oh, we use critical thinking to anticipate problems. I showed it in the story by having all the vendors on call anticipating any problems. Love it. Yeah, that story tells a lot of uh, gives away a lot of information about how they're committed. They have their backups. They work within timelines. They understand that the vendors need to do business. They don't want to lose sales. Mm-hmm. And they're willing to op- open, you know, at, at at night. So there was a lot of a lot of things communicated in that story. Beautiful. And th- I, I think the other side of it uh, would be standing up in front of the vendor and say, "I'm awesome. We're so good." Yeah, we've done a hundred airports, and we've been in business forever, and la la la. And you're like, you know, how do I? And, and uh, Google yeah. is our customer, and Microsoft is our customer, and the guy is looking is like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, the irony around this particular situation was they were told they were going to hire the firm that they liked the most because it was a six-year project, and a lot of people get really shaky on their confidence around that. How do I hmm. make sure they like me? So I worked with them again on the stories they told on the team slide. Instead of the boring, normal, hi, I've been here 10 years, this is what I do. I pulled out individual stories of those people. Wow, I, what made you become an architect? Oh, when I was 11, I played with Legos. Now I have a son that's 11, I still play with Legos. Okay, great, where were you before? Oh, I was in the Israeli army. I'm like, okay, since Sue, you're in charge of making sure this thing comes on time and under budget, you've got a great background for that. Little stories made them memorable and likable in addition to the case story. And all of that together can make you a winner because, again, those stories make eliminate the problem of if they hear three pitches and no one's telling a story and pushing out facts, they just look at each other and go, well, they all sound the same. I guess we should go with the lowest bid. But if one exactly. of them has a story that they relate to and want to go on that journey, they're like, oh, let's go with them. Love it. Yeah, stories. I think when I hear a story, it helps me connect with the storyteller on a human level and on an emotional level. Yes. Uh, I mean, you could tell a one minute or a two minute story and that will probably replace an hour pitch. It's true. Uh, right. And there's a technique in storytelling called an open loop, which mm-hmm. I sort of did a little bit when I said I met Michael Phelps. And I'll get back to what he told me that other people can use. So let me give that little story so we can close the loop for our viewers and listeners. Tell us about first an open loop, what it is, and then give us the story. Yeah, so an open loop is literally what I did. Earlier in the show, I mentioned getting Speedo to advertise with me by having Michael Phelps show up. And I said, I got to talk to him and I will tell you what he taught me about why he's so successful that will surprise you. That's an open loop. Kind of like yeah. when they say next week on, and they'll give you a little snippet of what's to come. And, and then Netflix, people binge watch because they can't wait. They got to watch the next episode. Open loops make And our brain keeps that in our head going, I'm going to hear a story of something from Michael Phelps that maybe will help me. And so that keeps them leaning in to want to hear me close that loop. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So Absolutely. when I met Michael, I went up to him and I said, You know, everyone says you're such a successful swimmer because your feet are like fins and your lung capacity is bigger than most people. But I'm guessing there's something else. He said, oh, yeah. When I was younger, my coach said to me, Michael, are you willing to work out on Sundays? Yes, coach. 
great, we just got 52 more workouts in a year than the competition. And I thought, well, there it is. And so all of us as entrepreneurs get to ask ourselves, if we want to be at the Olympic level, what are we willing to do that others aren't? So that's an example of a story that has a takeaway and that pulls the audience into that. And that's actually something they can use. Hmm. And I think you could set the stage with your future um, uh, presentation about what needs to happen to make things yeah. work. Like you need to work extra if you want this kind of result, right? Mm -hmm. You're setting the stage for them. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Notice that I told that story in present tense. That's another big secret. I didn't tell you the story. You know, when I met Michael Phelps, I asked him this. He said this to me. I gave it to you as if you were eavesdropping in on the conversation. And I even changed my voice a little bit when I was saying the dialogue that Michael said back to his coach and what his coach said to him. Interesting. It wouldn't be nearly as interesting or memorable if I just said Michael's coach told him, ask him to work out on Sundays. And that's why he's more successful. Not nearly. So you, talked, you you set the story in the past, I guess. No, I set this. I set the story that while I talked to him in the past, I made that conversation seem like you were eavesdropping in the present moment by saying, "Michael said to me, my coach asked me, Michael, are you willing to work out on Sundays? Yes, coach. Great. We just got fifty-two more workouts, as opposed to just saying, Michael's coach had him work out on Sundays. That's the I love how you're posing the conversation in there as well, like you're looking up and down. Yes. Oh, you're giving away a lot of clues there. Yeah. Michael's in the pool looking back up at his coach and the voice is deeper as the coach than it is as young Michael and all that pulls us into the story. Love it. So you said you start the story and then you kind of, I guess, cut it up at some point. You say, I'll tell you the rest later. Well, the open loop part of it is just a hint yeah. of a story, but you don't typically start a story and stop it. You just give a teaser that it's coming. Love it. That's amazing. And then that's one way to keep people engaged and keep them having wanting to stay around and stick around to, to learn about these multiple maybe open loops that we have opened up. And now throughout your presentation, you're going to close them up and there's going to be probably a couple of important ones that you're going to open up or close up later. Right. Yep. It's an ongoing loop because exactly. you want to tell people this is just the tip of the iceberg of what it's like to work with me. And so you want to have a conversation with me to explore how I can help you, whatever it is you're offering. Love it. Now, uh, for those entrepreneurs and coaches, consultants who are watching and listening, what actionable strategies and advice and tips do you have for them to practice something or do something and become more confident in the next week or so? Yeah. I have a technique called stacking your moments of certainty. You mm. know how traffic controllers stack up airplanes? Uh, decide which ones get to land and all that stuff is they're all circling. Yeah. We get, we get in our head. We get so nervous about something. Um, we get a lot of butterflies in our stomach. The first tip is get those butterflies in your stomach to fly in formation. Get the nervous energy out of your stomach and into the room. Make a gesture. Get out of your head worrying about whether people like you or not and get focused on being of service. And when you do that, your confidence goes up and also... When the butterflies in your stomach come in, don't resent it. Just go, oh, it's game time. It's my Super Bowl of meetings. Because the difference between being scared and excited, our body feels very similar. So we get to relabel it. Oh, I'm excited. I'm not nervous. I'm excited. Okay, good. Uh, and then stacking your moments of certainty, write down two or three times you knew you nailed something. You ask your future wife on a date. She said, yes, you've got a job. You got hired selling an online coaching program, whatever it is you do. And remember how good that felt when someone said yes. And the feelings that, so when you stack those moments up, instead of the negative self-talk, your confidence definitely goes up. Love it. So you bring in, uh, uh, I think, I think changing your association, uh, with you, uh, defining some people say i'm nervous but you you could turn it into i'm excited yes right and then uh go back to a, a win moment in the past to be like this is where i got a yes this is when things were working and then put yourself in that state of mind so you could go in and own that uh interaction with the prospect or whatnot love That's it right mm -hmm. hmm love it love it love it so that was called stacking um uh, Moments of certainty. 
moments of certainty stacking moments of certainty so that's gang if you're watching listening that was a really important point about being nervous versus being excited because mm -hmm. they're very close right and you can you can interpret either or either way you're racing your palms are sweaty you know um when you're about uh to go bungee jumping or jump out of an airplane with a parachute or whatever it is you know usually we've chosen those situations but we're scared and nervous or uh but we're also excited and we want the thrill of it um you know walking down the aisle to get married all these big moments um we are scared and nervous at the same time so our, it's up to us to decide starting a new job whatever it is getting out of your comfort zone practicing learning how to be a better storyteller the first time you do anything it's a little new so just go, you know what? I don't have to be perfect. And I think this is the other big tip I have for everybody. Let go of being a perfectionist because we're not wired to be perfect. And if we put that pressure on ourselves, our confidence goes down. But if instead, if we think of ourselves as progressionists, people who celebrate progress, our brain is wired for it. Think about Fitbit. That's why it's so popular, right? Oh, you made some progress. Video games, you hit to the new level. Our brain craves progress. And when we celebrate the progress we're making, instead of needing it to be perfect or it's a disaster, we get rid of that black and white, all or nothing thinking. Just go, you know what? I got, I was better today than I was yesterday. Still have a long way to go. And that's okay. Like you're climbing Mount Everest. You're halfway up. You look down you go, look how far we've come. Or, oh my God, look how much further we have to go. Same thing with our goals for our revenue or whatever. So. Absolutely. Let's let go of being perfectionists and watch our confidence go up, be progressionists. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Hmm. How can um, people work with you? Where can people find you? Sure. Um, the easiest way to find me is to go to johnlivesay.com. If you can't remember that, just Google the pitch whisperer and my content comes up. I work with uh, certain clients that are at a certain level. You know how at Disneyland you have to be this tall to ride the ride? I tell people the clients that I choose to work with already are charging a certain amount of money, usually you know in the six figures, to get clients to work with them. And I help them grow that by telling better stories. And it's an online experience where they get to take a course and then they work with me in a private Facebook group and practice those stories. And all of that, the outcomes are great. You know, you start seeing people like Rose getting two clients in a week just by telling better stories. And um, I've helped people who want to do a TEDx talk learn how to tell us a story for that. I've helped people who want to give PR. You know, I've been interviewed by Larry King and been interviewed by Fortune and Inc. And it all comes down to telling a story that the media wants to hear. So this storytelling skill works in your personal life and your career. I had one student who's an orthopedic surgeon that wanted to help me to help him tell stories to launch a product he has. But he also had a seven-year-old girl at home and said, Daddy, tell me a story. Don't read one. And he was like, ah, but now he knows how to tell stories. So um, that's the easiest way to work with me is to integrate if you're at that level where you're already selling a program and having some revenue come in, that it makes sense for me to help you um, scale that with storytelling. Absolutely. Uh, the thing about this stories and kids, my kid, my kid loves it when I tell him stories. And what we do is I kind of review what we did in the past day or week or month or maybe a past thing that we did together. And he loves that. It's like I think it's it's like hardwired in our brains to yes. love stories. And that's how we connect. Maybe, maybe, and then this just come to my mind. Yeah. Back but our ancestors. Oh, yeah. When we lived in caves. Yes. When they were leaving caves, they were all sitting around around fire and telling stories about how they went their day went. Maybe it's just yes. got you know hardwired in our brain, and now we love stories and we're attracted to it. I have another tip for parents. When your child comes home from school, instead of saying how was school, you get one word answers. Okay, fine. Reframe the question. Tell me a story about what mm. what the best part of your day. They can decide what it was like on the way to school, what happened at school or on the way home. And then you can start to teach them how to tell better stories. 
like, was this today or was that last month? You know, you need to, and you can coach them, but then you can tell them a story about the best part of your day. And then everybody's storytelling skills go up at the same time. And it's a conversation, not a one word answer. Interesting. Love it. Love it. So tell me a story about your day. I can, you can even probably try it out with people too. You know, sure. you talk like, I, I get that with my brothers, especially with men. When you ask them what's up, they're like, not much. Not much. <laughs> yeah. If you say, tell me a story about the best part of your day, not even your day. They have to analyze something. You know, I got to pick a best part of what happened today. Well, I got a parking place, whatever. I don't care. Pick something that's the best part. Somebody was nice to me and let me in. You know, it doesn't have to be this monumental thing. But an unexpected act of kindness sometimes puts you in a good mood, whatever it is. Absolutely. Very, very, very informative. I, I like that tip too. Wow, this this episode has been a lot of value, a lot of good, actionable stuff we could use. Um, and so um, we're talking about your gift. Tell us about your gift, uh, Top Storytelling Tips. Yes. I've crafted this into a very uh, digestible, easy-to-read uh, PDF, ebook, if you will, of exactly how to go from invisible to irresistible, how to tell great stories. And it'll be a great little roadmap for you to become a better storyteller. And you just go to johnlivesay.com forward slash daily confidence, and it'll pop right up. And gang, if you want to become a, a, a good storyteller and have some irresistible stories and go from blah to amazing <laughs> and, you know, have good stories that connect with people, go download John's, uh, a gift here, top storytelling tips. The the website is John Livesey at G J O H N L I V E S A Y dot com. John com forward slash daily confidence. Okay, download it and you should be on your way to building better stories and become irresistible. Right. Okay, yeah, and I've seen this firsthand all in this, a good story over a pitch wins all day long. All day long. Let me rephrase that. A pitch that doesn't have a story in it is going to have a hard time converting, or it will convert a lot less compared to a pitch that does have a very well-crafted story in it. And my right. way of saying it is whoever tells the best story gets the sale because the sale uh, is in the tale. T A L E. Love it. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. So, John, uh, um, uh, let's get into some personal questions. Sure. What do you do for fun? What are your hobbies? I'm an amateur photographer. Oh. And so I love taking pictures of nature and people and events. I'm the kind of person that, you know, I get invited to somebody's birthday party. I'm usually the one taking all the pictures and putting it all together for somebody. Interesting. Because that's storytelling, photography, storytelling. It's visual storytelling. And then, uh, so you do it with people? Do you do nature? Do you do everything? Or what's yes. the favorite type of photography? Um, I love people. And then second is nature. I live here in Austin across from an aquifer, which is a 300-acre park. And literally, there's turtles on the trees. And it's just quite spectacular to love capture it. nature like that. <laughs> Uh, tell us about your favorite books, books that have made a massive difference maybe in your life or in your, or in your business. Um, Tim Sanders wrote a book called Deal Storming instead of Brainstorming. And it's all about the importance of collaboration in order to make any big sale happen. Uh, I, I've really enjoyed um, that book. And then, any uh, other books? yeah, um, uh, Victoria Labam wrote a book called Risk Forward. And it's not about... Uh, thinking you have to have everything perfect before you take a risk. Love it. Risk forward and deal storming. These are different. I, li I like how, because yeah, uh, usually when I ask this question, I, I hear a lot of titles that I've heard before, but these are actually, I've never heard of it. Great. Deal storming. Uh, what was the, who was the author for deal storming? Tim Sanders. Tim Sanders. And then Victoria LeBom wrote risk forward. Risk forward. Mm -hmm. Love it. Any other books that you'd like to mention? Um, Jay Salmon has a great book out called Future Proof You about, uh, you know, making sure that no matter what happens, you're um, ready for it. Love it. Love it. Now, um, John, if if you had an ad on the internet, maybe on Facebook and Google where everybody could see a message from you, mm -hmm. 
what would your message be for the people of Earth? <laughs> Make sure that the story you tell yourself is one of compassion and kindness. Tell me more about that. Well, the self-talk is so negative. You know, when I was in sales, the old way of selling in corporate America was always be closing, ABC, push, push, push. And I've changed it to ABK, which stands for always be kind. And of course, we can't give away anything we don't give it to ourselves. So I'm all about helping people put ABK on a post-it note, by your computer, in your car, wherever, so that we start being kinder to ourselves and not saying mean thoughts and judging ourselves so harshly so we can give that to others. I love it. Always be kind. Mm -hmm. Instead of always be closing. Yes. Hmm. Love it. What advice do you have for people that are always kind, but they're not closing? Oh, don't let kindness come across or as someone who's not prepared or is not, uh, a good storyteller. Arthur Ashe, the famous tennis pro, said the key to success is confidence and the key to confidence is preparation, which is my big focus. So you just because you're kind doesn't mean you're not prepared, doesn't mean you don't have good stories. Uh, you can be kind, confident, prepared, and a great storyteller. And all that combined will make you successful. Is there anything... Um, what am I trying to say here? So the people that want to be kind and heart-centered yes. and they want to be uh, out there and help people, is there anything that is um, against closing or is there any any area in, in there that doesn't match? You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I think so. So if you're not going to be, you know, our, um, the Maslow, the, the psychologist said, you know, if the only tool in your toolbox is a hammer, then you go around looking for nails to hit. And that's the old way of selling. I got it. You want to buy? You want to buy? You want to push, push, push. Hammer, force someone to buy. We're doing this in a whole new way now. Because nobody wants to be sold to. Uh, so when you tell a story, you have a new tool in your toolbox. And so after you tell that case story of someone you've helped, instead of saying, do you want to buy? The question is simply, does that sound like the kind of journey you'd like to go on? And if you told the story well enough and people see themselves in the story, it's like landing a plane. It's natural. Well, yes, it is. Yes, I want that experience. I want that feeling. I'm going to write that down. Great. The kind of journey you'd like to go on. Mm-hmm. And it's, it really works when you've told a great story. Absolutely. Yeah. If, if you haven't told a story, you can't ask that question. Right. right. Here's the great thing. It's amazing. It's 5,000 miles per hour. Would you like to go on a journey? <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> no. Right. All right. So what is one piece of advice that you received that made a massive difference for you? I would say that piece of advice I got was from Alison Levine, who climbed Mount Everest and is a big speaker. And she said, you know, as a speaker, we need to treat every opportunity that we're given to speak as if it's our big break, because it just might be. Take every opportunity as a big break. Right. So you treat everything as if this is your big break and you bring your A game to it. I think once you have that attitude, eventually you have to get there. I guess, exactly. Right? Hmm. Very interesting. Very interesting. Good advice. What advice would you give your 20-year-old self? <laughs> well, that was so long ago. I would say, and it's funny because I have friends now who have kids in their 20s, um, that remember that you're enough. You don't have to prove yourself to other people or to even yourself who you are is enough right now. And come from that place, the behavior might look the same. You're still taking action to learn and grow and produce, and but you're doing it from a completely different mindset. Like you already feel enough and confident in who you are. 
that this is just an expression of that as opposed to I need to accomplish all these things before I maybe start to feel enough. Very interesting. And I think this whole question of sales and not wanting to sell has enough, a lot to do with this being enough component. Some people don't feel good about themselves and they don't feel good about what they offer. They don't feel enough. Yeah. Next thing you know, they have a hard time selling. Yeah. And I don't, if you feel enough with who you are, whether you make a sale or not, you're not attached to the outcome. And guess what? You don't take rejection personally. I used to take rejection personally when I was selling ads. They go, oh, we're going to Fanny Fair or another. I'm like, oh, I bet another salesperson could have gotten a yes. Or maybe they're right. Maybe my magazine isn't as good as those. Don't do that to yourself. Don't reject yourself. Don't reject what you're selling just because you got to no. know. No now just means, you know, not no forever. And certainly don't take it so personally and don't agree with the rejection. Hmm. So some people that are hearing or will be hearing that might say, that's easy to say. How do I actually do this? Because yeah. put yourself in the shoes of someone that has low self-esteem. They don't think they're enough. They don't feel that they're significant. Mm -hmm. And now you tell them, all right, just be enough. Just, just you're, you're enough. Is yeah. there a process? Do you have a story on that that maybe or a process that could help them sure. go from not enough to be like, you know what? I'm actually feeling good about myself. When I was speaking to uh, Land Rover and Jaguar sales team, and I brought this concept up, and you think, oh, they're selling luxury cars. How much rejection could they get? Well, a lot. And I said, and I asked them, and they go, yeah, this is a big challenge for us. Car sales, even lux luxury car sales. People just assume it's used car sales that have rejection problems. No, no, no. New luxury, you're getting rejected a lot. Um, and I said, so when you get a no, instead of rejecting yourself and making yourself feel even worse, beating yourself up, you're not good enough to whatever, call somebody you sold a car to in the last six months. Not to sell them anything else, just to remind yourself of how happy people are when they do buy from you. And you could substitute car for house, products, software, whatever it is you're selling. Call up somebody who bought something from you. It's like a sorbet. It cleanses your palate before the next phone call or next person walks in so that you're not in that negative mindset and start fresh. Love it. So the idea was to go back to someone that you have had success with and then check in with them, say, how's it going? What's your favorite part about this house, this car, whatever it is you sold them. Um, and they're like, oh, I love this. And I'm so happy here. And I love my car. And, you know, and then, you know, who knows? You might even get a referral. But your point is for you just to remind yourself of what a happy customer sounds like and feels like. What if someone doesn't have that? Well, then you're really starting out at the beginning of your career because most uh -huh. people have some success under their belt. Then we go back to stacking your moments of certainty. All right, it's your first day at the job. You haven't made a sale yet. Right? You don't know if this is going to happen. Let's go back to when you did do something successful. I don't care if it's you passed your driver's license on the first time. Think about something you did well and nailed it because you practiced. Mm -hmm. That in your head. Or maybe if you persuaded someone or sold someone on an idea without an exchange of money. Exactly. Could, we've, we've all done that. Yeah, of course. You ask someone out on a date. Maybe you convince someone exactly. to go on a trip or do something for you or for them or together. Pick the restaurant that you wanted to try. Nobody had been to and it worked out. Yeah, exactly. So I have a, I have an, a question and I know we're towards the end. John, why do you think people hate to sell? I think they hate to sell because they've been um, taught that people sell are manipulative and controlling and pushy. And nobody wakes up in the morning saying, that's the kind of person I want to be. Uh, so it's about reframing, you know, the difference between being scared and excited. We reframe what sales is. I'm proud to be a salesperson because I know I'm helping someone who has to make a big decision, make the right decision. Or I have something that solves a big problem for people. In my case, coaches and consultants and entrepreneurs who hate selling or don't really know how to do it. 
and they have a great product, but no one's buying it because they don't know how to tell a story. Mm. That you go back to your, why are you doing it? I'm helping people. So I'm not a doctor. I can't literally save your life, but I might be able to help you save your business and your dream of being successful or your dream of doing whatever you want for your family because you've got more money coming in because you become a better storyteller. Now I've reframed what sales is for me. That's my purpose. And for me, it's not just that, but it's also helping people get off this self-esteem roller coaster where we only feel good if things are going well and bad about ourselves if they're not. Because I was on that too. And that's exhausting. And so when we zoom out and I can help people, you know, people hire me typically be like they want to win more clients. And then I work with them on, let's also look at your identity so that the rejection doesn't knock you off your confidence is who you are is bigger than any one thing you're doing, whether it's your own company or a job you've got so that no matter what's happening, you're not going to let something on the outside devastate you. You're more resilient than that. And so that's part of reframing what sales can be for people. Love it. That was a great, great, great response. And hmm, I'm not going to add anything to that. That was that was perfect. Uh, John, is there anything you'd like to add that we haven't talked about? I would just say that, you know, sometimes people say, oh, well, I'm not a natural born storyteller or I don't have any stories. The good news is everyone can learn to become a storyteller. I'm, you don't have to learn to become a concert pianist. But no matter where you are in the storytelling level, I can help you get better. If you're already a good storyteller, I can get you to the black belt level. If you don't feel comfortable telling stories, I can get you to where you feel comfortable. And when that happens, it does make your life better because everyone always has time for a good story. Absolutely. And this is such such a such a great skill. And like you said, uh, uh, if, if gang, if you're not if you're not good at it, just reach out to John. Go to johnlivesay.com forward slash daily confidence and, and download his PDF. He's laying out what needs to be done and then reach out to him. Be like, Hey John, I feel like my, my uh, conversations with my prospects is pretty dry. I don't have stories. I'm just like, and I'm even scared of starting to ask people for sale, but gang, believe me, once you have a story to tell people, exactly. and I've tried this both ways, the one with the story is a lot easier, mm -hmm. right? When you share a story about your, your, your own paths, your customers, some case studies and the rest of it. Like John has been talking about all, all for the past hour or so. It is a lot easier to connect with people. So do reach out to John Livesey. Go to johnlivesey.com and then uh, reach out and have a conversation. So John, thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. A really, really great conversation, helping people boost their confidence when it comes to sales and telling stories. Gang, if you're listening and if you're watching this uh, now or later, uh, we do a draw and for you to enter the draw, if you like, subscribe, comment, ask a question, tag a friend who could benefit. And or if you write a review uh, and subscribe to our channels on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify and the other channels, you enter your name for the draw to win prizes. Thank you for joining us. My name is Mustafa Hosseini, and uh, you're listening to Daily Confidence for Entrepreneurs. See you in our next episode. Bye now.